Well, it, it is good uh, to worship with you, brothers and sisters. We've been going through a series regarding the character of the church. What exactly are the traits, descriptions, expectations, and the requirements of a local church? That has the potential to be a bit of a loaded question, not just because I know some of you, but because all of us, well, we, a question like that solicits all kinds of responses. Responses from church members, long-time visitors, first-time attendees. However, our aim has been to look at different portraits, different snapshots of the character of the church as we see it in the New Testament. As faithful followers of Christ, we desire to have the character of our church reflect the very character, commands, and the words of our Savior, Jesus. So our sermon title this morning is The Shepherded Church. It's, it's a sermon about elders and pastors. And you could have heard a pin drop in that first service. I mean, there's a sense in which like, we get a little nervous about pastors and elders. And the Lord knew I was preaching on pastors and elders. And so I woke up Saturday morning with a giant zit on the top of my nose. And it was just the Lord's way to say, <laughs> talking about you, <laughs> talking about you. So in recent weeks, we've considered how we are a gathered church, gathered but scattered, a scattered church, a spirit-driven church. And now we carefully look at the reality, the implication of those who shepherd the local church. Here's why this has great significance on our lives, Lakewood. Our understanding of shepherds, their role, their task, their responsibilities, and generally their leadership has implications on how we worship and function as the body of Christ, a family who's been gathered in the name of Jesus. Our main idea, the main point of our passage this morning is this. Faithful followers of Christ commit to relational community. This is not merely one of our three main core values. It is the reality of the people of God in the scriptures. Regardless of position, function, gender, preference, socioeconomic status, age, or gifting, we are committed to relational community. We see this in our examination of the shepherded church. If you haven't already, I'll ask that you grab a copy of the scriptures and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll be in verses 1 through 5. And as you're turning there, allow me just to give you a little context to our letter. We were recently in chapter 2 with a scattered church. And by way of reminder, Peter is writing to Christians. Christians living the life that God is giving them in addresses like Pontus and Galatia and Asia and all the like. He's writing to people who have lives marked by questions, suffering, and doing their best to live for Jesus. Maybe they're not so different from us. Peter comes in and he reminds them of their heavenly hope in Christ. This world is not their ultimate home. That's a, that's a theme in Peter throughout. He says we are to be a holy people in Christ and make his name known in the life that we've been given. Yeah, your life, normal life. 
And that affects everything. That affects everything, Peter says. It affects our relationship to government. In chapter 2, we went through that. It affects our home life in chapter 3. Even affects the way that we suffer in 1 Peter 4. Now, towards the end of the letter in chapter 5, yep, it goes 3, 4, 5. That's what happens after 4. We, we come to chapter 5, we come to the end of the letter, and Peter now turns to the elders, the leaders of local churches. In light of the Christians' heavenly call to be faithful, in light of suffering, here is a charge. Here are some heavy words for leaders because the reality of relational community and suffering means local churches are to serve their people well. And Peter knows that in order for the body of Christ to serve well, to live well, to hold the faith, then leaders must be faithful. They're required to be faithful. Would you read with me, please, verses 1 through 5? So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Well, there's a few things we see in this text this morning. The first is this. Faithful shepherds lead people. They lead people. I give this directly from verses 1 and 2. There's a couple of things I find refreshing in these verses. And the first is this phrase that we saw in verse 1. Peter says, as a fellow elder. I like that. I like that a lot. See, Peter comes in and he says he has an exhortation. I'm going to advise you. I'm going to preach to you. I'm going to entreat you. Or as the kids would say, Peter is going to drop some facts. Peter could come in and say these things as an academic. He could be, you know, you know where I went to seminary? You ever hear of Jesus? Yeah. I went to training from Jesus' own lips. Uh, he doesn't do that. Peter, he could have come in, not as an academic. He could have come in as a CEO and said, I'm an apostle. I am the senior pastor or elder. I command your respect. No. Rather, in humility, with a heart for the church, he says, I'm a fellow elder. 
a fellow pastor, a fellow sojourner, a fellow leader trying to figure it out, a fellow sinner who has been shown much grace. I'm one of you, he says. And this matters in our churches, especially with our elders. Peter's posture shows us that there may be different functions and roles, but there is no hierarchy when it comes to the leadership of the church. There is no climbing the corporate ladder. Peter serves the church well with this phrase because it elevates other elders, so not everyone is looking to Peter as the guy. It also serves as a kind reminder that this simple fisherman, the dude who denied Jesus three times on the night of his betrayal, was restored and is serving God. What a picture of grace to see Peter serving. I mean, Peter, you guys have read the Gospels, right? Like Peter, foot in his mouth, that guy? Serving a, a, a normal man, a normal man who loves Jesus as a leader in the church. Perhaps there would be some Peters at Lakewood who would serve as an elder one day. Humble, godly men who serve the church and elevate others. But I, I get pretty excited about this next phrase I want to point to. Look at this phrase in verse 2 where he says, shepherd, shepherd the flock of God among you. Now, some of you may have a translation that says, be a shepherd of the flock of God among you. I think my rendering, snobby Matt here, I think my rendering and some like it are a little more helpful because that word shepherd is actually a verb. To shepherd means to care, to feed, to tend, to keep, to rule over, to govern. It's a call to action. Shepherd. Some of you may be aware, but this word shepherd is actually the word where we get the word pastor from. You will not find the word pastor in the Bible. The word pastor comes from this word shepherd. The word pastor is actually a Latin word, which means shepherd. So if you see pastor in your Bibles, the word actually is shepherd. And there are only two times in the New Testament that the verb to shepherd to pastor is found and commanded in the church. Acts 20, and in our passage, 1 Peter 5. From the lips of Paul and Peter to the elders in both passages, they are commanded to shepherd the flock, the people of God. It's quite the command. But who are the elders called to shepherd? Okay, I get it. I mean, yeah, the, the flock of God among you. I read it. We read it together. But understanding this little phrase, the flock of God among you, understanding that little phrase would drastically change the pastoral ministry of elders in many churches. This little phrase acts as guardrails to extremes of shepherding that we can often see. First, the flock of God. The flock of God among you. But this flock of God, whose flock is it? Is it the lead pastor's flock? Well, what about the oldest pastor? What about the oldest elder's flock? I mean, not to throw anyone under the bus, but we might have an old elder or two. Surely it's their flock. 
What about the deacon with the most money? Is it their flock? Understanding that the flock is the church and the church is the body of Christ, the question then is, whose church is this? Is this the elders' church? Well, is this the congregation's church? Look how quiet it's gotten here. Now, many of us, when we speak of Lakewood, we say, this is my church. And I think that is good. We put it in the possessive. And what many of us mean is, this is the church I attend. Or many of us, this is the church where I have membership and serve. This is the church to whom I am accountable. And that is right and good, but there is something potentially dangerous when we use that language, mine. And that language over time can seep into our thinking. When an elder or congregant alike says, this is my church, I must have this, I want this, this must be my way. Well, we see where the possessive mine has changed. That possessive nature, that self-seeking nature, is something we must all be leery of. Especially elders. It is the flock of God. This flock, these people, this church belongs to no one but to the head, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lakewood is Jesus's church. Now, second and more briefly is that second phrase, yes, the flock of God among you. Kids, that's not some reference to among us. I know you play that game, but it's, it's the flock of God among you. Why does Peter tell the elders of the church to shepherd the flock of God among them? Well, it seems that in 2,000 years, much hasn't changed. Could it be that there are elders so consumed with what is happening in other churches, in other denominations, in other spheres outside of the community that God has placed them? They are to be intimately aware in serving the flock of God among them. Of course, elders should be aware of the culture and the world around them, but elders are called to shepherd the flock that's there. God has called them to these specific people. God does not need elders shepherding flocks among Twitter, angry social online groups, or, or just flat out neglecting the people that's right in front of them. So faithful shepherds lead people. The flock of God among us. Will God help us? May it be true here. But second, we see faithful shepherds they don't just lead people, they lead by example. I get this directly from verse 2 and 3 as it finishes out this command for elders the shepherd. And I want to point out a few descriptions in these verses of what that should look like in the elders' decisions and in their character. A character that ultimately should be a leading example for the flock that they are serving. So in verse 2, the first phrase, not under compulsion, but willingly. That's the example that elders are to have. What does it mean to shepherd a flock willingly as God would have them? Well, I do have to chuckle a little bit at the thought of someone becoming an elder, whether it's a lay elder or a staff elder, and shepherding under some kind of demand or pressure. 
Although I, I do think of a story in church history of a well-known pastor who came and spoke on a Sunday at a church, and the search team, if you will, cornered him and said, you will be our pastor. And he became their pastor. <laughs> I don't know how that worked, but it did. That's not normal, I don't think. But there does need to be, for the elder, an internal and an external call. An internal desire that God has genuinely placed on their heart and an external affirmation, a confirmation of the people of God. You have to have both. You cannot simply have one or the other. So you could have some knucklehead saying, well, I want to be, I should be, I, I, I'm the elder. But only his grandma thinks he should be. And no one else of the people of God affirm him at all. Or, again, uh, on the other side, there could just be those that we would affirm. And maybe it's an Old Testament Saul kind of thing. You know, Matt, he's just a short, quirky guy with a big nose. What we need, what we need is a Saul. Tall, handsome, dark, five o'clock shadow. We need, we need, we affirm him. And if you do it aside from, if it's external but not internal in his own, bo both, you have to have both. It is possible that both the internal and the external components of becoming a shepherd could be coerced by the man himself or the people around him. And maybe he feels some kind of pressure to please others or some duty to serve God in a different capacity than he really wants to. And it is possible also for there to be a perceived necessity to put a warm body in the role of shepherd. Well, we just need someone. Just get him in. Get in a warm body. Maybe because the church has always had this many of shepherds, some arbitrary number that they come up with. Shepherds lead by example by taking on the role in the task, not because they feel internal pressure or because the church they love is urging them to consider it. Faithful shepherds lead by example because they are led by God, not by themselves and not even of the opinions of others. But look at this next phrase we see. He says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. One writer put it this way, quote, Sadly, what begins as a willing service can become service rendered for the sake of rewards such as wealth and status. The elder's example as shepherds of the church in this regard seems pretty clear. But let me just say that this looks differently, likely, in every generation, in different contexts, and to different individual shepherds who have different bents and temptations for gain. So in Peter's day, perhaps, it looked like this. And not just Peter's day, but many times throughout history. Oh, shameful gain. I have an idea. The shameful gain of a secured income, a privileged education, or just the respect of the community. Well, Perhaps that's less true nowadays, especially the respect of the community, but maybe the shameful gain of elders today would be the shameful gain of building a castle and a kingdom, my church, my throne, my place. Desiring perhaps to have a platform to advertise their opinions or to attack others. Whether it's Peter's Day, Peter's Day or ours, those are all shameful. And I would have thought the opposite of shameful gain in our text to be surrounded by language of poverty. 
or sacrifice. Not, not shameful gain, but sacrifice. But, but he says, Peter says, eagerly. It's the only time this particular word is used in the New Testament, so I don't want to build a whole theology based on this one word. But perhaps, as we look at elders who are tasked to shepherd the flock of God among us, the question that I would ask them, the question that Lakewood, we should ask any man who desires to be an elder is this. Are you eager? Is there an eagerness and a joy in you to serve the people of God? Not for gain, not for reputation, not for money. Are you eager to love people? Are you eager to follow the example of Christ and put his people as more important than yourself? Are you eager to sacrifice? That's a great question. But lastly here in this example, we see in our text in verse 3, not domineering. Oh, no, our light is that in verse 2. No, verse 3, beginning. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So recently our elders at Lakewood were reading the scriptures together, and we found ourselves in John 10. And we read over these words in John 10, verses 3 through 4 say this. Jesus says, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Faithful followers of Christ follow the good shepherd. They know his voice and he leads them. So as elders at Lakewood, we are simple and flawed men, but we asked, how can we follow this example of Jesus? How can we shepherd the same way that Jesus did? There was no domineering spirit in Jesus' words in life, even as we read them in John 10. As the shepherd, he knows their name. As the shepherd, he leads them. He walks before them. He is with them. He speaks to them. You will not whip a sheep into following. A faithful shepherd leads by example, not by domineering. Do you know that your elders at Lakewood have great dreams and desires for you, Lakewood? We desire that you would know Christ intimately. Can't domineer that. Can't whip someone into that. But we can be an example into that. We want you to know Christ intimately, so we will serve as an example and we will know Christ intimately. We desire that you would share Christ to a lost world. So guess what? We will share Christ to a lost world. We desire, Lakewood, that you would find beauty and joy in holiness and following Jesus. He satisfies. He's enough. So our aim would be to lead by example in holiness, in joy. We desire you to be faithful members who serve. So we will lead in example and be faithful members who serve.
I don't know if I represent all the elders in this, but I desire for you to know how and when to go at a four-way stop. So I'm going to put it on all the elders that they know how to do that to lead by example. Like, there's a sense in which anything that a leader of the church, an elder, would require and ask of their people, that they themselves would do it first. Faithful shepherds lead by example, freely, eagerly, and for others to follow. May it be more and more true here at Lakewood. But I also want to see faithful shepherds, uh, yes, they're, they're eager, they set an example, they lead people, but, but they also lead for Christ. I get this directly from verse 4. This is a short one, and we already caught some of this language earlier in verse 2 with that phrase, as God would have you. Here, I want us to consider more closely the title, Chief Shepherd. Who is the chief shepherd? Well, it's the good shepherd of John 10. The one who laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus, our Savior, is the chief shepherd. This verse, really, verse 4, serves as a bookend, verses 1 through 4. A bookend that points to a glory that will be revealed at the coming of Jesus. He will come and establish the new heavens, the new earth, the celestial city, and we will reign with him in eternity forever. And in this context, Peter is telling these elders, shepherd the flock, be faithful, glory is coming. And I'll show my cards here a little bit and just say, I don't think the crown is a literal one. As many as have told in the scriptures before, uh, writers have said this, that the promised crowns in scriptures Uh, The crown is probably the symbol and the glory is the actual reality. But regardless of where you fall on here, the point for the elders is this. To remember who they're working for. Who they are ultimately serving. Elders, shepherds are not to lead for their own glory, for their own crown, for their own namesake. Elders lead as imperfect men serving in perfect congregations. Yes, you looking to the perfect one, Jesus. You will not find heaven on earth in a local church, but you will catch glimpses of it, especially when elders are serving for Jesus and not themselves. We we begin... This sermon, considering this main idea, faithful followers of Christ, commit to relational community. Well, you may wonder how all this talk about faithful shepherds points to relational community. This is a sermon, after all, about pastors and elders. Well, most of us aren't that, so what does this have to do with me? Certainly, if elders had this kind of character and function in our church, we would say, see a great deal of health in our relationships, in our relational community. And not simply a great deal of health. That's not our end goal specifically. We would see health for the sake of the name of Christ being lifted high. Jesus would be honored and glorified as we all obeyed him and looked like people who actually were shaped by biblical living the Word of God. Imagine, Lakewood, 
regardless of elder, congregant, man, woman, child? What if we were shaped by biblical living, committed to relational community? What that would do for the name of Jesus in our families and in the Brainerd Lakes area. But relational community is always a two-way street. So as we close, I want us to read verse 5 again. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. Some of you may have a translation that inserts the word men right there in the beginning. Young men be subject to the elders. Well, that word men isn't really there. It's inferred from the word subject, or rather young ones, uh, because young is a masculine word in language. And it's probably true, and it's a fact, that oftentimes those who buck authority tend to be young men. I call them the young bucks. Many scholars will argue that Peter is using this term, those who are younger, to refer to the church at large. Those who are following the elders, all of you, those who are younger, be subject. You imperfect younger ones, even you who may not be young in number, but young or immature or growing in heart like all of us. Trust. Be subject. Or as Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. It's a heavy verse. But I think the rest of verse 5 qualifies all this very well. All of you, he says, elders, young bucks, Congregants, young women, squirmy seven-year-old boys, widows, grandpas, guys who tell dad jokes, nursery workers, attenders who should be members, teenage boys who could teach us old guys a thing or two, all of you, and I think I got everyone there, all of you, clothe yourselves, put on humility. Put on humility, all of us. Put on the mind of Christ. God, help us to put aside ego, preference, opinion, and all the rest. God will oppose us if we are proud. But he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to us as we seek and commit to relational community. This strange relationship called the church that we have entered into. The strange dynamic of shepherds and congregants and children and old ones. Eclectic backgrounds. Different stages of life. A wide array of opinions. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you. Enter into relational community. You'll know my grace, because I give grace to humble congregations like that. I give grace to humble elders like that. And brothers and sisters, 
He has already shown us grace. He is showing us grace. God is already at work in our midst. Let's pray that we would experience this more, this humble relational community, more and more and more. And that that be true of us, first and foremost. Let's pray. Father, that is a tall task. That is a big prayer. We pray, God, that you would convict and shape and humble the elders of this church. That they would be faithful and lead people and lead by example. And, Father, that they would lead for Christ. And all of us, Lord, regardless of position or function, we are commanded in verse 5 to put on humility. So would the Spirit of God, even now, use your word to shape humility in us, to be truly a family, to love one another beyond difference and preference, to love one another beyond quirk and temptation and season in life. Father, would you be kind to show us that you will continue to meet us in grace as we humble ourselves. We truly do desire that the character of our church would match the character that we see for the church in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.